Okay. Ready? We'll do. A, let's do one, two, three, four, five, and then clap on six. Okay. But do. But you got to do the ands. One and two and three and four. That. Yes. And then we'll clap five and and clap on six. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Together, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Nope. Here we go. Okay. One and two and three and four and five and. Oh, I forgot to clap. God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Well, what's going on with you, homie? Well, I'm eating cheese. My motto for today is eat a lot of cheese, don't say a bunch on this podcast. Were you listening to previous episodes and making some notes, and your notes were not eating enough cheese, saying uh too much? Yeah, pump up the cheese. Don't say uh all the time, every five seconds. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of cheese you munching on? Uh, I was eating... <laughs> there, uh, 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 mm, uh, mm, uh. That's, I need all that extra time to get the old... Neurons firing. Oh, good. It's like a barbecue. My brain's like a barbecue pit that it's supposed to be match light where you just hit it once. But uh, my brain's been sitting out in the uh, in the back patio for like three years in the rain. And mm-hmm. so uh, I got to hit it with some gasoline, which is called <laughs> coffee. Okay. So I'm drinking coffee, eating cheese, and saying uh, a bunch, I guess. Wow. What was the question? That's good sauce. I don't remember how you doing, probably. <laughs> hey, welcome to the show, by the way, everybody. Oh, yeah. Welcome, everybody, to I'm okay, you're okay. I'm not okay, and you're not okay. I'm Clint Wells. I'm Bob Schneider. Now, I realized that we've got we've cranked out a few episodes now. We've got a few episodes out in the world. And I've realized I was saying our email address wrong. Uh but we've nevertheless somehow we've gotten a couple of emails. Should we read some emails? What? You we can, got emails? We've got three emails. You can reach us at bobandclint at gmail.com. We will literally talk about whatever the fuck you want. Now, do you want me to read some of these or should we talk about some stuff we like and don't like? Should we save the email portion for later? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't care. Well, what do you think? <laughs> I definitely don't care. <laughs> <laughs> So this is going to go round and round. <laughs> I don't care. You don't care. I really don't care. You really don't care. That's the new title of this yeah, show. Yeah, we should call the podcast, You Can't Imagine How Much I Don't Care. <laughs> I give zero fucks. You give zero fucks. I give less than zero fucks. And you give less than zero fucks. I was thinking about one of the things that's frustrating about life. What's that Italian place you and I used to go eat at near your house? It's the Bella Bella Boomer. Oh my god, did Mario did Mario or Luigi just walk into the podcast? Uh, are you talking about Ma- Ma- uh, Mandolas? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Whatever the one is by your house. Mandolas. You probably didn't understand me when I said Mandolas. No, I don't, Mandola. no I don't speak Italian, but thanks for translating. <laughs> sure. But I was thinking about when you go to a restaurant with your friend, like we used to go to that place when I'd stay out there with you, and you're in the car, we're telling a story, we're talking, we're ramping up, whether it's you or me. And then you're in line to get food or something, and you have to pause that story to give your order. And then you then you try to pick the story back up, and then the waiter comes by to give you your water. you got to pause it again. 
just the way life gets in the way of having conversations. It's really right. hard. Like, or if you see somebody at the, po- I saw my friend, I saw Rachel Lloyd, you know, Rachel, I saw her at the post office yesterday and we were trying to talk and catch up, but the, we had to do postal shit and it was just a huge hindrance to trying to talk to somebody. Unlike now, you and I are having an unencumbered conversation, and it's nice. Yeah, I like it. Um, speaking of which, I just it just reminded me of what my rest of my life resolution is, never to go to a post office again. It, it amazes me that they don't have, like, music playing in those or a TV. Like, something that something to take your mind off of. Because you'll never understand the true meaninglessness of life until you're standing in the post office. Yeah. I mean, it would cut down the suicides. It would cut down the going postal. Like, that's that's a thing that we have in our language. It's called going postal, which means sitting there in that drab, lifeless, horrible, why am I living uh, place minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. I, like, I mean, yeah. Why not decade after decade? I mean, you did just describe. Uh, thank you for describing my life. <laughs> millennium after millennium. That's <laughs> eon, for the, eon that's after for the eon. vampire postal workers. No, dude. I don't think. I think going postal is in reference to p- people who work for the post office because it's such a horrible job. That's like, no, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who work there. I right. mean, I'm only. I only have to be there for 25 hours to, uh, you know, send a one letter to somebody. Yes. I mean, I don't know why I would stand in line. <laughs> To send a letter, but whatever it is, a package of some kind that won't fit in the slot. Mm. I only have to spend 25 hours in there, but those people have to spend billions of hours of their lives. It, well, it's at least a billion. That's for sure. Well, this so, first, this first email is from Travis. <laughs> okay. We're gonna Did he send it through the post? He's, he service? stood for 25 hours at the Austin, Texas post postals or offices. Oh, is, is this coming from Austin? Uh, no, I don't know. Oh, okay. We're, this is going to be an episode of hard pivots. I can I can already feel the hard pivot sauce. <laughs> Have we ever done an episode that no. wasn't mainly pivots no. and then every once in a while divots? Right. So Travis says... And Maybe it, we should name it Pivots and Divots with Clint Wells and Bob Schneider. <laughs> That's a really great idea seven episodes in. Hey, so here's what I'm noticing, too, about these emails. They're all to you. <laughs> no one knows who the fuck I am or gives a shit. Well, give it some time. Oh, Lord. Okay, Bob, can you talk more about the plane crash? Somehow I heard this about you before. You <laughs> what ba- the fuck? But you barely touched on it in the last episode, which was a letdown. I'd heard you didn't fly anymore, but that seems unlikely since you play everywhere in the U.S. Also curious how much you guys ch- charge for private events. Do people ask you to play their <laughs> weddings? Love the podcast. Keep them coming. Sincerely, Travis. He says he's your number three fan. All right. The answer is no. One billion dollars. <laughs> Next. <laughs> So he wants to hear about your plane crash. Now, I am privy to the details of the story. You can be as detailed right. as you want, but it is interesting. You were in a traumatic plane crash. And you know what else I'd like you to talk about, if you don't mind, is sure. your process, you processing the trauma and being unable to get on a plane and how you dealt with that to where you were able to fly again. Can you can you give us the, clip, the elevator speech of that? I'll try. Okay. So I was in a plane crash in 2000, I believe. And uh, it was a private plane. It was rented. Um, we were trying to land in a little private airport in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And it was me, my girlfriend, our dog, pilot co- and uh, co-pilot, and maybe the autopilot. 
And uh, we were trying to land in the middle of the night. We crash landed the plane. I guess the guy missed the runway when we were touching down because there were no runway lights and he couldn't access them through the remote control in the plane or whatever, however you do it. I don't know. Uh, So we ended up not touching down on the runway, but touching down next to the runway, which proceeded to fuck the plane up real hard. Mm. And I I think really what happened was the wheels maybe got torn off or something. Then we were just like sliding around. We came to a stop. Everybody was fine. We got home safe. Uh, The next day, the sheriff told us all the reasons why we should have died and we didn't. Uh, and then anytime I have like, you know, some bad shit starts happening like over and over again in my life, I'm like, oh, I died that day. And now this is all, <laughs> this is all just hell. You're in an, you're, some, you're, yeah, you're in an episode of Lost actually. Yeah. This is episode. like Jacob's Ladder shit. Oh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm dead and I died that day all those years ago, which you definitely did by the way. Continue. <laughs> so, says, says the almighty Satan. <laughs> through your speaking through your voice. Right. Um, so that happened. And then of course we had to fly out of there a few days later. And, uh, I was already kind of a nervous flyer at that point. And, uh, I was like, Oh God, we got to fly out again. And of course we had to fly out again on a private plane. Cause I don't think they have, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of airport where there's no, uh, public planes maybe or whatever. So we flew out and, uh, it was a little traumatic. And then I flew for about a year after that. But every time I'd fly, I kept getting more and more, uh, I'd, I'd start getting shakes and tremors and stuff when I was flying. So I had some kind of PTSD from it. Um, and then when nine 11 happened, I was like, yeah, we're shutting down the flying for a minute. <laughs> I was like, I am not getting in a plane that's going to crash into the world trade center. So that lasted seven years. And so for the next seven years, Every time I'd have to go to New York or L.A. or San Francisco or Portland or wherever it was I had to go, I would just get in a car, usually with a buddy, and we would just road trip it. Um, And so I made a bunch of road trips to New York and L.A. um, where I just would get, you know, leave Austin and then be in L.A. in 22 hours. Was your road buddy ever your naked dad? (laughs) No. Uh, No, I didn't ever. I don't even want to travel to the damn corner store with my dad. That's like too long of a trip for me. To mafiosos, garlic bread. So anyways, that's the long, sordid, boring story. So I started flying again seven years later because I started dating somebody that lived in New York. And I was like, I'm not going to drive to New York to see this person. So uh, I took a, uh, I took some, I did this EDMR therapy. I think it's EDMR or EMDR like I'm not, it's one of those things where you um it's supposed to be for trauma and it's like this thing I went in it seems real bullshitty when you do it um you're like kind of tapping yourself on both sides of your body and you're repeating a phrase over and over again and uh like when it was over I was like really did that really work and then on the way home from that first therapy session I was like maybe I'll book myself a ticket to Houston after 7 years and so I ended up doing that uh, one more time. And then I did actually book a ticket to Houston, which is the closest, you know, it's the shortest plane trip out of Austin. It's 30 minutes. And I drove down to the airport after not flying for seven years and got to the airport and realized, Oh shit, I'm not getting on this plane. Um, I was just terrified. And 
But what I told myself was like, all right, I'm just going to go get to the airport, walk through security. Um, and by the way, guess what was new for me after seven years? Sex. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't had sex <laughs> with any airport personnel in seven years, <laughs> which is like the longest I'd ever gone without fucking somebody at an airport. Right. Uh, no, what happened was TSA. So I hadn't flown that entire time that they fucking ramped up TSA. So I get to the airport and it was a whole different story. I'm like, what the fuck is all this bullshit? Isn't it amazing how loose flying was pre 9-11? Yeah. You, you could- just grabbed you grabbed a, uh, a, your shake from McDonald's and just hopped on the plane with some flip flops and a goddamn loaded gun. <laughs> God damn it. Those days were over. Those were the days. So, so that was different, and I got down there, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go up to these people at the plane and tell them, look, I'm, I bought a ticket, but I'm scared to fly. Can I just, like, walk on the plane and then walk off? Just, you know, baby steps. And so I got there, and I told, you know, the people there at the desk what was going on. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 we want to, yeah, no problem. So before anybody boarded the stewardess walks me onto the plane and I'm telling you, I'm like freaking out and we get to, I'm standing on the plane. She's like, you sure you don't want to just stay on the plane and, you know, take the short trip. And I'm like, fuck no, but I will finger you real quick. Um, I didn't say that. What was (laughs) his name? (laughs) It's Bill. And, uh, (laughs) he sounds nice. He's a, he was a nice guy. And so I I walked off. And then I took a flight anxiety course. And uh, I can't tell you the name of it, but it was great. I found out a lot about flying. And then a week later, I booked another flight to Houston. I actually stayed on the plane. The end of a long-ass story. Well, it's interesting because it's, 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 it's a nice story that you, ever, you overcame the, the uh, trauma of that. So now when you fly, you don't feel any of these feelings other than that you might be stuck in some sort of purgatorial... Jacob's ladder because you died that day but other than that when you fly do you feel you feel normal I don't I wish I did I wish I didn't have any anxiety like when I travel on a on a bus uh or I travel on a train or or a car or whatever I mean those are all more dangerous than flying right and I feel no anxiety at all like I'll get on a tour bus and there'll be a tour bus driver driving us through the fucking darkness of night for 12 hours at a time down icy ass roads or crazy cliff, you know, like through mountain passes and all this shit. And the whole time I'm like, not worried at all. Even, I mean, we'll hit a zipper if you're not, everybody knows what a zipper is, but if you're in your bunk and it's the middle of the night, all of a sudden you're like, you start hearing this zipper contact. You're like, all right, did the driver fall asleep? Right. Are we about to die? Right. And that happens on the reg, yeah, by the way. Yeah, that's pretty normal. Because they'll be doing construction on the road, and so they'll have to, you know, they'll have to take you through a zipper or something on the road. But you're in your bunk. You don't know what's going on. You're not, like, in the driver's seat, and you can see that. You're see, like, yeah. I'm about to die in this coffin. And that's that where in. surrendering to death comes from. Because, you know, and I know you did this for a while, too, but it's even worse in a van. You know, if you're crammed into a van... Sometimes, you know, I would sleep in the floor of a van. And I would, <laughs> by the way, the most uncomfortable form of travel is sleeping on the floor of a 15 passenger well, van. I've toured before in a van that had no heat. 
And so sleeping on the floor of the van, you're like close to some of the machinery or some heat down there. But you would have to just tuck your arms into suitcases, like crannies and shit. And I would take an Ambien and then just bye-bye, go night-night. And you, you're you so truly out of control. You're at the you know behest of whoever's driving, whatever right. their mental state is. And, I mean... And, that, and also, I will say this: If you're in a van, that's not a professional driver. That's no. one of your drugged out, <laughs> one of your fucked up <laughs> bandmates, bandmates. <laughs> or your who's done the the same amount of partying as you did before you got into some sort of weird uh, fucking MC Escher position at the bottom of the van. I've had a lot of tour managers that were just straight up cokeheads or Adderall freaks, so they could do those kinds of drives. Which you know what? That's fine with me. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I'm okay with that. I, I'm f- whatever drugs you need to take to stay the fuck awake. I'm down right. with yeah. If you're driving, yeah, I agree. Should we read another email? I hope it doesn't end in a long ass boring story like that. But yes, let's hear <clears throat> another one. Uh, this one's from Mundy Hendrickson. Uh, she says, "Hi, I'm Mundy. I run the fans of Bob Schneider Facebook page. I wonder who this one's going to be directed to." <laughs> Love the intro. Mm. I laugh every time. You're welcome. Oh, she did write this to me. Holy shit. Clint, don't worry about your daughter running in. If anything, it's a points getter with the ladies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Personally, I, lo- I love how laid back the show is. <laughs> I just got an erection for the first time in like 18 oh, months. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just that, kidding. Oh, that's also that's also a hit with the ladies. <laughs> I'm ruining. Nothing like some maniacal laughter to really get the juices flowing. Oh God. Uh, she says, "I love how laid back the show is, so that fits right in." Uh, but some of what you guys get into is pretty deep, and that's my favorite part. It's even worth the price of admission of listening to plumbing talk to get to it. So ha- uh, if your pipes are plumbing. <laughs> She's not talking room. about that horrible bit. She's talking about you talking about your toilets being filled with shit. Oh, she didn't like all that shit talk. Well, I think she liked it, but she's saying that it's to get through the to get through the shit. It was nice to hear some serious talking. But by the way, give us a brief update on the toilet sitch over at Schneider de Casa. Oh man, it's all good, and it's been good forever. I, I'm telling you, I'm kind of. It's good to have something terrible happened to you every once in a while so that you can absolutely appre- appreciate how great life is most of the time. Perspective yeah, is I'm, key. My mind's like a little rat. It's going to try to find a little <laughs> piece of cheese to chew on to worry about. Like I'm always going to be looking for something to worry about. And so when you go through something shitty like that, I mean, literally, uh, I, you know, I can wake up and go, uh, things are great today. Cause the toilets and tub and shower aren't overflowing with human shit. Would it make it worse or better if it wasn't human shit? It would make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> Much worse. Yeah. God damn it, it would be horrible. Right. If it wasn't, like, at least it, I know it's my, and it's, here's what I know. I know the shit belongs to me, my wife, my daughter, or my son, Maybe my dad, who comes over occasionally. Well, he just uses the bed, so. <laughs> so so I know who the shit belongs to. Like, if it was stranger shit or... And animals, if it, it was just a bunch of random animals, I was like... It would just remind me that the world is filled with wild animals. One, and that would freak me out. One of my favorites... You do have a kind of a creepy house out there, <clears throat> like when it gets dark. 
It does seem like there's like a lot of wildlife, a lot of snakes and spiders and bears and shit out there. Yeah, like this is like some real shit. Like I, there's some t- there's some walls that separate me from the environment, but they're Anyways, there's a lot of wild shit out here. Well, she goes on to say, one of my favorite things is to hear men talk about their experiences as fathers. More dads being more involved than ever is one of the few ways I feel like we've been moving in a healthier direction as a society. Just in time for the apocalypse, shh, it's fine. And especially with you both having daughters, I think it would be a real treat to watch Bob blossom into a full-on feminist. I know Bob has a sister. Clint, do you? I do have a sister. Uh, she says, I feel like Bob seems to understand women, or is he at least trying? Well, that's a big no. <laughs> Let me answer for the Bob there. No. Do you, do you understand <laughs> really? women? Do you understand women? Yes. Oh, well, pardon me. I mean, I don't understand women as much as women understand women. My wife tells me that all the time. But right. I understand women. I understand the differences between men and women. Oh, well, that's good. I, I would definitely consider myself a feminist. I mean, I believe that women are smarter uh, than men. Uh, generally, I think that women are better at, at doing most things better than men are, but men are, <clears throat> men are really good at doing a few things better than women. Uh, it doesn't make men better than women. It just makes men better than <clears throat> most women at certain things. Well, yeah, and you're granted, right. You're going to, you're going to find exceptions to all rules when it comes to when you say men or you say women. But I would consider myself a feminist in that I respect women, uh, I cherish women, I appreciate women, and I see their strength and their beauty. And uh, I'm married to a really strong, smart, uh, funny, creative, wonderful woman. And uh, I, uh, you know, and so, yeah, I would consider myself a feminist. And, And I do feel like I understand men and women just because I got a lot of free time on my hands, and I'm and 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 I notice things. Um, do I know everything? No, of course not. That's true of you. I I feel that resonates with me about you, and I'm similar. I mean, <clears throat> I guess my main point of connection with women these days is my wife, and it has really more to do with just us deepening our friendship as we get older, and now that we're parents together, and I just feel like I understand my wife a little less. But that doesn't have much to do with women. I do feel like. I've identified with women mostly in my life. I, the men in my life from when I was a boy were always pieces of shit. So I was raised by my grandmother, my mother. I had my sister. <clears throat> and that was kind of my model. And I've, I'm more comfortable talking to women, being around women. It's not difficult for me to, you know, to look them in the eye and ask some questions about themselves. I've always had a good rapport with women. I, I write a lot. Women have to come to my house a lot and write. And when we had Nova and I was living in my first house, my studio became her bedroom, obviously. So I had to move my studio into our master bedroom. And I was always kind of, I had some trepidation when I would have like a a new lady come over and I'd have to almost apologetically say, hey, we're going to go cut this demo. I'm really sorry, but it's in my bedroom. So just really sensitive to them feeling weird about that. Right. And and then when you would ask them to like slip on this negligee and... Right. If you wouldn't mind wearing this BDSM (laughs) gimp suit, we'll cut the demo... And you, oh, you'll get in my my. Uh, you'll get in a box for two weeks. Do you, and do you prefer patchouli scented or lavender scented uh, sex oil? Right, it's edible. It's all edible. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> it's organic. 
edible. No, but one of the one of the, one of the biggest compliments I get from the women that I've come become friends with through writing is that they don't feel creeped out at my house or with me in a working environment. And I think that's rare. And so anyway, in the terms of feminism, I do feel like the term feminist has kind of been co-opted a little bit by this idea, uh, sort of man hatred that I don't subscribe to. Because like what you were saying, women are, be- women are beautiful and have their own power and their own, their own sauce, the flavor they bring, that's just irreplaceable. But men have their own st- strengths too. And the truth is, both men and women capable of being at their highest potential and being total assholes. And I think true gender equality, which is what we should be striving for, is willing to recognize both of those things, the strengths and weaknesses in men and women. And that's a conversation that it seems like is getting much harder to have. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to recognize what rea- what the reality is, right. uh, uh, the differences between men and women, right. the strengths of men and women. And uh, I think people are just like, no, men and women are all the same and they can do everything, they can every, everything a man can do, a woman can do, and blah, blah. And just like saying it does not make it, does not make it the way it is. Right. And it's not helpful to ignore whatever the truth is. And even me saying this, somebody's going to be hearing this and going, oh yeah, Bob thinks that men are better than women at shit. And I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. No, it's not what you're saying. And if they think that, they're not listening. You can't celebrate what's uniquely beautiful about either gender if it's all the same. And right. we can't get to the bottom of and work on the problems in each respective gender unless we're honest about that shit too. Hair. Hair, hair. We are solving hair, all the goddamn hair, hair. problems today. She goes on to say, Clint, I don't know if you remember playing with Bob in Bloomington, Illinois a couple years ago. Bob started talking about Tony Robbins, and one of my BFFs yelled out, banana hands, and y'all had a laugh about it. And then she linked to a frunk, where I guess this has been recorded. She says, thanks, you guys. Keep it up, Monday. That was a nice email. Yeah, that was nice. I really appreciate that she appreciates what we appreciate about other ladies. Can we we talk about some stuff we like and don't like? Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Okay, so I I've been recording uh, Conan's talk show on my DVR for a while, and I and yet you still don't know how to pronounce Conan, which is interesting. What did I say, Conan? (laughs) Well, that's the way I've always pronounced it, Conan. But it's Conan, (laughs) Conan, dude, Conan O'Brien. All right, but but Conan the Barbarian, which is you know where the name comes that from, is Conan. Is Conan. You, that's that's Conan. That's correct. So it's Conan. Okay, so I've been recording Conan. I never watch it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just I've just never like uh, I'm gonna watch that. It'll be funny. I don't think that. But Conan has a new podcast called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and I started listening to it, mm-hmm. and it turns out that Conan O'Brien in real life. When he's just talking, when he's not doing his show, where he's got, you know, like, I've got to fill this next two minutes with being funny. When he's just talking and being himself, he is brilliant funny. Hmm. Like, that guy is, in, like, as funny as anybody I've ever known. So I've been listening to that podcast, and then I've gone through the internet and looked at most of the things that he does where he's just walking around talking to people, like normal people, and it's so funny. And then he was on uh, another one of my favorite podcasts, How Did This Get Made? And he was the funniest guest they've ever had and funnier than any of the guys on that show as well. I mean, he was incredible. So now I'm a huge Conan. Conan? 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 It's Conan. Conan Conan fan. And uh, 
I, I highly recommend it. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. I think he's great. I, I was a huge fan of that show when he was on Late Night, and when he had, before Andy Richter left. Like when they were doing the in the year 2000 bit before the year 2000. Right. It's actually the first internet fan club I ever signed up for was the Late Night Conan O'Brien fan club. So you can imagine how much time I was spending with the ladies at that time. Right. That's that sounds like Conan. That sounds like him on his on his TV show. Hey, 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 hey. Like he does all those voices right. and stuff. I think a lot of show. my I think a lot of my humor really came from not that I'm a uh, that funny, but you know what I mean? Like I think a lot of my sense of humor comes from Conan O'Brien. It makes me real happy that you're discovering this because I've been a huge fan for a long time. I think when he got the Tonight Show, there's which that whole story is just so tragic. Have you seen that documentary Conan Can't Stop Laughing? Yeah, it's great. I love it. <clears throat> I think things got a little I think he kind of lost his moxie a little bit, kind of like old Tiger Woods lost his moxie a little bit. But leading up to that, I mean, I just thought he was the most brilliant thing on TV. Well, I kind of thought the same thing about his show. But now that I, I, you see a little bit behind the curtain with he's, the podcast. Right. He's kind of it's, a dark dude, right? Oh, man. But he is dark. And he does do this sort of persona on the show where he acts like this megalomaniac who's like really treats his employees really meanly. <laughs> right. And you can tell it's it's shtick. But at the same time... He is this huge ego, as all people who are who do this have to have that ego to kind of a get motivated to become good and stay good and do it. Like you have to have a crazy ego, but then you also have to have this sort of really low sense of self esteem, and then really need the um, adoration. You know, it's like a weird combo of big ego, but but very little self love, and and so it just is. It's it's really cool to see that because it doesn't come across necessarily on the show, or if it does, maybe it does after years and years of watching it. You know, you kind of piece it together. But if you just watch a show, you're not going to get it. Do you see yourself in that? Uh, I think of myself as being way, way less. Uh, like he's so superior in terms of how smart he is. And, I mean, in terms of like. That weird balance, because I see myself in some of that, the, the weird balance of doing what we do with ego and confidence and, oh, knowing, yeah. and knowing that you're bringing heat to the table, but also a self-loathing and a need for, um, a need for well, definitely affection, but a need for affirmation, professional, emotional, spiritual. Is that why you're resonating with that? Like, do you see yourself in that? Yeah, that's me. I mean, 100% is me. Zero self-love for just me as a human being. But then this ego, which is like, I'm great at what I do, which is, you know, being an entertainer or songwriter or whatever, uh, or an artist. So, well, we are about out of time. That was a quick episode. Uh, Or it was quick for me, probably not for you, because you had to listen to all that stuff. But um, we'll be back again soon with another episode. Until then, I'm Bob Schneider. And I'm Clint Wells saying, listen, if you want to email us, it's bobandclint at gmail.com. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. Also, check out my podcast, The Song Club, uh, Bob Schneider Song Club, and check out Clint's podcast, Metal Up Your Podcast, Bitch, but Bitch isn't part of it. Anyways, it's a podcast about all things Metallica, but don't let that stop you from listening to it. It's funny and interesting, and you'll have a good time listening to it. Aw. And that's a a good stopping point. (laughs) Bye-bye.